got the power. I've got the tough. I am daring enough to be heard. I've got the grit. I've got the spark. I am a light when the world gets dark. Stand up, go be courageous, be strong, make it contagious, don't stop. You've got the fight. Stand up, go be courageous, be strong, make it contagious, don't stop. You've got the fight. We'll band together. We'll heed the call. Ceiling. We'll touch the sky. We clip our wings and we still fly. Stand up, go be courageous, be strong, make it contagious, don't stop. You've got the fight. Stand up, go be courageous, be strong. Contagious, don't stop. You've got the fight. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Revisiting Ruach. My name is Caroline. And my name is Jacob. And today we have a very special guest joining us, Alan Goodis. Hey guys, great being with you. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Alan, do you want to introduce yourself and tell everyone about the song that we just listened to? Yeah, my name's uh, Alan Goodis, and the song that we just listened to is called Chazak uh, Ve'ematz, Stand Up. It was uh, written uh, at URJ Eisner Camp, uh, summer of 20, I believe, 18. Uh, it was uh, at the invitation of the camp's director to come and spend a week with their camp and help the group of their kids uh, write a social justice anthem. So I uh, worked on that with a group of kids that were as young as seven and uh, as old as 15 over the course of a week and that we wrote it. And what you're listening to is also the recording, which we recorded at camp on a $100 microphone next to a dance studio with a lawnmower buzzing by, which uh, I take great pride in and that you don't need to have the world's greatest equipment to uh, track a song. That's awesome. That's super cool. Awesome. Um, so we are going to start with some questions. Um, about camp song leading 
And so the first question that we have is how do you effectively use your resources at a summer camp? Because at every camp, what is available to you will vary. Yeah, my first my first reaction to that question is that I'm thinking about the human resources more than I'm thinking about, you know, how many projectors or microphones or guitar plugins does the camp have in different spaces? Um, I'm thinking a lot about the people that for me, uh, success I've had working at camps uh, over the last number of years has largely come from uh, trying to uh, befriend people quickly, trying to fit in with the community and trying to figure out who are the people around me who uh, can help me be effective uh, in the work that I'm trying to do for the community. So that can be anybody from, you know, showing up, uh, to uh, the Beta Fila, and we need to move benches to set stuff up. So finding some campers, finding a few staff members, being really kind to them, uh, asking them for help, and then making it a point to seek them out at another time so I can be helpful to them. So if that's a counselor saying like, hey, if you're taking a, a day off at some point and need someone to, to sit and cover your table uh, in the dining hall, I would be happy to do that. Or if you need someone to, you know, uh, come play basketball or come uh, lifeguard at the pool for you. I'm happy to step in and do that. Um, so really for me, a lot of it just starts with who are the, the humans in camp uh, who will help me uh, be successful at the work I'm doing. And then ultimately, and most importantly, it's the kids that we're with too, because those are the ones who, uh, you know, we're trying to move in, in a certain direction. And so just uh, trying to approach everybody with uh, a good degree of humility and, and kindness and hoping that that's something that's returned uh, later on. Do you think that like it depends on the camp uh, how easy it is to find those resources or do you think that that generally applies to most camps? Um, that's a good question. I think some some camps or many camps I visit have that culture um, you know, I, I guess, well, let me go back. For me, I, I grew up at Goldman Union Camp Institute in Zionsville, Indiana, which was known as Gucci. And one of the many things about Gucci, uh, as wonderful of a place as it was and still is, was that uh, anybody who worked at camp had at least two jobs, that uh, nobody was just the tennis specialist and that all they did was, was teach tennis uh, three hours a day, or nobody was just the song leader. That uh, when I was song leading the first two summers, I was a cabin counselor and a co-head song leader. Uh, then the following three summers, I was head song leader. And one year I was like head of security because camp needed someone to help supervise some of the Israeli staff members who were there to work as, as security guards uh, during the day and overnight. Um, so that, that for me, I think being at Gucci was a place where we were all sort of brought up in this environment of like, it is our job to help. So if you see... Uh, you know, that a trash bin is overflowing. Don't just wait for someone to come do that. Recognize that that's your job. So everything in the community is, is a part of that. Um, so many of the camps I visit have that, that type of a culture. And I think that it's uh, maybe easier in those places. Um, and others just have different cultures. And so I think I've learned to try not to, not to compare or judge. Because, uh, uh, you know, I was reminded when I first started going to camp early on that uh, wherever you grew up, is what uh, you believe to be normal or how things are supposed to be. Um, and that over time, you come to kind of realize that like, well, this camp does things differently. And maybe I like that better or maybe I don't than where I grew up. Um, but that's just how they do things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it 
varies to an extent from camp to camp. Um, with the whole idea of resources, one, some of your resources are your co-song leaders. So how do you establish a good line of communication with your co-song leaders so that your song leading team is as strong as it can be throughout the summer? So are you asking if, if I was like a head song leader, how I would do that? Or just if I'm on a team? Just like in general, how in general, how do you yeah. go about establishing a good line of communication? Yeah, I mean, I think great, great communication for me starts, one, with having a great leader who communicates effectively to whoever they're working with. And whether that be on a song leading team, if there's a, a structure where there's a head song leader. Uh, and then moreover, in camps especially, there's often, it's like, who's the supervisor? So just getting really clear on what it is that, that you're expected to be doing, uh, what your job is, what your job is not, what you're being asked to do, what you're not being asked to do, all those things are super helpful and effective. Um, and then the good communication, I think, comes uh, with, uh, again, some of it's the humility thing, but I think creating space for people to... Uh, raise difficulties that they're having whether that be with another song leader on the team uh to be able to to use their voice to express how they feel about how the program is working or not working um and then i guess i would just kind of convey or i think there's great value in just establishing um as a team uh space for people to talk about how things are going and also um to, to be able to provide feedback to one another uh, and to whoever's leading that program. Um, I think that song leading teams that I've been on or worked with that seem to, to function, uh, I guess, in the most healthy way tend to be ones where there's really good communication. Uh, they also have a really clear sense of what they're being asked to do from the camp community. And often that's from like their supervisor, whether it's the Jewish life person, the assistant camp director, or the, the senior camp director, um, just being really clear with them on what it is that they want. So if the camp director says, we don't want you singing secular songs at Tefillah, and you show up and decide, we're going to sing a secular song at Tefillah, and then at the end you get slapped on the wrist and you're upset, it's like, well, that was really clear. You were told not to do that. So just, um, I guess, trying to find ways to to listen and get really clear on, on everything um, that you're being asked to do and not do. Do you think that like being friends with the other song leaders makes it easier or do you think it makes it more difficult because you have to establish the line of like business versus like friendship? Yeah. I mean, some of that, you know, it can definitely be harder. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, most people I think don't like hearing, uh, feedback. That's not the most positive. I would include myself in that, that it's easy. And it's, I think so. So it's, it, um, I will say for me, it's more at what moment. So that's something too, from the communication standpoint that I was, I found helpful for me in working with teams and in being on a team is, um, when you get together as a group at the beginning of the summer, whenever that is to, uh, ask the question, uh, of each other, how do you like to receive feedback and when, and the, how could be like, do you want me to sit down and tell you this? Is it more effective if I write it down for you on a piece of paper? Is it more effective if I uh, type it up and email it to you? Um, and then when, knowing that when things, often when we're getting feedback, it's when things do not go well. Um, and so some people, you know, Tefila just finished and I chanted Avot Ve'imahot when I was supposed to be chanting the Ve'ahavta. 
and I feel embarrassed and I feel terrible and I know I messed up and I, and then my, my supervisor comes up to me right in that moment and says, Hey, what happened? You're supposed to chant Vea Hafta. That might not be the moment where I'm wanting that feedback. I might say, you know what? I'll do better. Give me an hour. Let me process. I need that time just to be upset and frustrated and then I'll be ready to listen and ready to talk about it. Um, so I've found those to be things that are really helpful, um, whether you're working with friends or whether you're working uh, with people who maybe you just work with. Um, but again, I think a lot of that's the learning to ask the right questions in order to help uh, help everybody on the team do their best. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. Um, and instead of working on a team, we're going to talk about sort of your personal like personal experience at camp by yourself and that's um where do you find the time to work on your own song leading skills while at camp is there time how have you done that sure so when i started song leading at at gucci when i was like 18 years old um one was fortunate that gucci was a, a very musical community and also one that really believed in uh song leaders and creating time for that so i when I started songwriting, one, for me, I always thought about the camp job as being a year-round thing. That if I knew I was going back to camp the next summer, if I knew if I got hired to work at camp in November for the following June, that November, December, January, February, all the way up through the day I got to camp, I was sitting with the, the Gucci songbook and working on uh, practicing songs memorizing songs, working on Hebrew, also all that discovery of the stuff for like all the songs that I'd been singing incorrectly because I never bothered looking at the words and looking at Orzarua and like, wait, it's Orzarua Latzadik? I thought it was Orzarua Matzamik. And that having to kind of correct those things. Um, so that was sort of the pre-stuff, which was super helpful. Um, and then during the summer, camp was really great in terms of uh, providing the song leaders with a song leading prep hour. Uh, so in addition to like an off hour, which was just your own personal time, there would be uh, prep time as well. Um, but I'll add to that that for me too, it was also, um, it's going to be different for each person. Some people can look at a song and memorize it really quickly. Other people, it's going to take you weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and you may never really feel like you have it completely memorized. Um, but I think the preparation stuff in terms of finding that time for you is also, I think, um, for me, it, it was recognizing that I needed to, uh, I guess, just kind of take stock of where I was with things uh, and and sort of that be self-reflective and look and say, gee, like, I really do not know how to chant Avot V'imahot very well. And every night I'm going up there and being asked to do it. I really need to just sit and spend that hour. Um, so those things. And then also trying to, you know, over time, uh, learned more to... Uh, to ask for help from people at camp, uh, whether that be uh, saying to somebody like, or uh, you know, like someone who maybe was like a voice major at camp, like, hey, like I'm not a trained singer, and I keep losing my voice. Are there any strategies you have that could help me? And them saying like, oh my gosh, yeah, let me give you some breathing exercises, or here's what a warm up is, or how much water are you drinking? Sometimes basic things. And then same thing too with faculty, seeking them out and saying like, I keep struggling with Vea Hafta. Could you sit with me for 20 minutes and just let me practice this like a bar mitzvah kid would do? And they would gladly say yes. Um, and that, that exercise, aside from just giving me more uh, 
time and space to, to grow, I think also uh, those are, are valuable ways to build relationships with people too. Uh, I think people like being helpful. Uh, you know, if you're someone who studied, who, stu- who is studying voice in college, uh, at, uh, who's working at a summer camp, you're probably not having a lot of opportunities to sort of demonstrate your skills. Or if you're a rabbi who's visiting uh, from camp, you're pr- maybe not being sought out all that often by the song leader who's saying like, can you just work with me and practice something like this? Um, so those are great ways too, that then when you get up there, then you have two people right off the bat. One who's saying like, your voice sounded great. And I'm noticing a difference. How are those warmups going? Can I, do you want me to do anything else for you? And same thing too, with that faculty person that, that she may say that that was fantastic. You did such a great job with Vea Hafta. I'm noticing that you practiced whatever that might look like. Yeah. Um, that's interesting that part of the individual practicing comes from continuing that group effort of finding people to add to your uh, team. Yeah. Well, what, what's interesting about that to you? I'm curious. I just think I find it interesting that even when you have to do things individually, like there's still an opportunity to include community and still opportunity to seek out other people even while you're discovering your own abilities which I think is I think I'm not sure if that's just like a a summer camp thing or if that's like an in general thing I feel like in every opportunity that you take to find individuality you still to an extent seek out um, other people's help yeah, I mean, I know when, when we, when the three of us talked last week, you know, about this, that was one of the things I said that, like, I wished when I was younger that I learned to ask for help sooner. Uh, and the reason for that is, as I said, most of the time people like to be helpful. People particularly like to be helpful uh, in uh, areas or in ways in which they may have some expertise. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it's such a simple thing, but I think it sounds like, Jacob, maybe you're thinking like, oh, maybe not enough of us think about that, that, um, yeah, sort of the finished product up there when someone's doing a great job is probably the result of a lot of people putting in time with that person. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a cool thing. Yeah. So the, the next question, uh, kind of goes a little bit back to the team aspect, but also still, uh, your experience did you ever have a difficulty uh in song leading for various age groups at the same time so your question is like what if i'm given like a very broad group of kids like saying like hey welcome to sunday school we have the kindergarten paired up with the ninth grade today yeah uh sure that happens that's kind of stuff happens to me from time to time i i've um Another thing I've learned is that when the same thing happens again and again and again, like when I started visiting synagogues during the year, uh, there would be questions. I didn't learn. It took me a while to learn to ask the right question. So an example would be, I would say, uh, do you guys have a sound system? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a great sound system. And you'd get to temple, you know, A, and you'd go and it would be amazing. And there were like, choices of microphones do you want a wireless guitar pack do you want to be plugged in here's eq here's the sound guy here's everything and then you'd go to the next temple and the sound system they had was like a radio shack microphone with an on off switch plugged into like a tiny little speaker 
So uh, I learned to ask the question, which was like, what, tell me about your sound system. May I have, and then getting the information that I actually want. So uh, I've learned to say to communities, I've found it more effective to group kids of similar ages together uh, when we're doing like individualized instruction kind of stuff. So that if it's a, a temple or even if it's a camp and it's, uh, you know, I'm going to have an hour with uh, Bonim, which is seven-year-olds, uh, and then I'm going to have an hour with every other group and they say, oh, we need to put two groups together just for scheduling purposes. I would probably say, would you please put like the third graders with the fourth graders and not put the third graders with the ninth or 10th graders. And that's not to say that that can't work, um, but that uh, people's needs are different at those ages. Um, and, uh, you know, the example I use a lot when I work with synagogues is thinking about, um, and I'm curious if you guys can relate to this, is uh, kind of the, the temple Sunday school or Hebrew school tefillah, right? Which when you're in kindergarten and you go to the Sunday school tefillah, you sit in the first row. And then when you're in first grade, you sit in the second row. And then in second grade, you sit in the third row and all the way back until you're like the high school kid and you're in the back of the room. And that often what I've seen places is that that tefillah experience is the exact same thing year after year. And so thinking about what's the experience for the person sitting in the room in terms of the importance of what we're doing, that I wonder if, if that sends an indirect message that like when you're in kindergarten, you get the best seat and you get to sit really close. So this is really important. And then when you're in first grade, you're a little further back and it's still important. But by the time you're in seventh grade or eighth grade, you're just in the back of the room. And so that we're not even thinking about you, that, that if you're that eighth grader in the back of the room, the feeling might be like, this is not for me. This was for me eight years ago. So um, the, the difficulty of that in terms of how to modify that and when I'm thrown into moments like that where you have everybody together is trying to find ways to make um, everybody who's there feel like their unique presence is needed. Um, and that sometimes might mean, you know, you're going to throw out the plan of what you were intending to sing because I thought I was having a, a song session with kindergarten and I was going to sing these cutesy kindergarten songs and now there's eighth graders here. What do I do? Um, so uh, I think, again, it's it's trying to, to uh, make the best of the moment with what you can recognizing what's fair to expect of you as the song leader when you're thrown in front of a group of seven-year-olds and 17-year-olds uh, who are not like a bonded group. Um, and uh, and then again, the, the learning from that after, you know, to ask, because that might be a situation where you said, oh yeah, I, I can take two groups together, but you didn't sit, ask or specify like, oh, wait, what are the ages of those groups? Because that will impact what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Do you think it's better to pick songs that benefit the older group? Or like, do you go up in age or do you go down in age when you're trying to, if you have two groups that are very different? Like, do you think it's better to completely lose the interest of the older group because of the simplicity or potentially lose the attention of the younger ones because of the uh, intensity of the older music yeah in like in the moment i'm thinking right now last year i was at a temple in in uh, naples florida and this exact thing happened where i was supposed to be singing with i think earlier in the day i was supposed to sing with like the sixth and seventh grade 
and we were waiting and it was like, we don't think the seventh grade's coming, just start. So I started to sing, did my program with the sixth graders. And then the next rotation comes in and it's kindergarten, pre-K, and then right behind them is the seventh grade. And it's like, uh, wait, what? And so the first thought is like, we'll just send them away. So what I, what I did in that situation and what I, I guess could suggest is to try to, I took a look at my list of songs and said, well, okay, which of these can I sing with both age groups? Um, so the song that we, you opened the, the podcast with, Stand Up, that's a song that's very wordy. It's a lot of lyrics. They're English, but it's still like wordy lyrics, um, and there's some Hebrew. So with the seventh grade, if I was just teaching them, I would have stopped and taught the entire song. Started with the chorus, then gone to the Hebrew, then maybe sang a verse, have them repeat and go chunk by chunk. My feeling in the moment was like kindergarten, they're not going to be able to, uh, cognitively they'll, they'll struggle with that or developmentally that'll be different. So I taught the chorus to everybody and asked uh, of the little ones to come up with some hand motions for that song so that that became sort of their part. And then I taught the Hebrew to everyone and my ears were telling me that like the little kids are not fully grasping this and that's okay. Um, and then I, I think I just sang the verses myself, but so that was a way to kind of find um, moments for everybody to have their thing. So that the older kids, it was you guys need to hold down the Hebrew for everybody. This is your job. Younger kids, you guys, when we hit those choruses, you're making up the hand motions. So when you say stand up, you have to be the first ones to stand up. When you say be strong, you have to flex your muscles like bigger than anybody else um, and trying to find ways to include everyone in that way. So that's... um. That's something I'm remembering that happened not all that long ago uh, that definitely uh, put me in that spot. And that's how I, I guess, tried to find my way out of it. Yeah. So going along with um, things that people may or may not know, um, such as songs that you've written or things that you want to bring to camp, um, how do you strike a balance between new music and camp favorites um, and just to sort of create uh, the most well-rounded experience for all your campers? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I guess camp favorites I characterize as those are like the highly loved songs. Um, some people call those the overplayed songs, which can also be true. And I guess I, I became mindful pretty early on that whatever those songs were that we must sing at every nifty event, at every, you know, Shabbat song session, at every, you know, service, at every Yom Sport at camp, whatever that was, at one point that was a new song. Um, and that somebody had the courage to come along and say, all right, we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to sing the Nana song every day at breakfast because that's what we're going to do. And we're going to stretch and sing and that's going to be our thing. Just the, the realization that that song is like 25 years old, that that song is not a thousand years old. And there are songs that are far more current that have sort of found their way into things. So one, I think uh, not being afraid uh, to teach something new if it's a value to the community. Uh, and I guess thinking about like Pete Seeger talks about like what is a song good for? So not, is this a good song, but is this song good for something? Um, and then it's trying, I think, to with whatever community to, to um, figure out, like, are there any, like, sacred cows, which would mean, like, you know, uh, I ask that question to temples all the time when I'm working with them. Friday night service, someone will say, you can sing whatever you want, anything you want to do. And I'll say, what, are there any things that must be done? Oh, yes, we always sing 
Jeff Klepper's Shalom Rav, and we always sing Debbie Friedman's Misha Berach. So that kind of says to me, all right, well, if that's important to the community, then I don't need to mess with this. I can just leave that. Um, and then try to pick some spots and find some things, or even, um, you know, at a camp or with Nifty, wherever you're, you're working or singing with people, um, maybe to kind of test run things with smaller groups. So that if, if uh, you're that, uh, that temple that has that Sunday morning all-school tefillah, and you always uh, open with sweet as honey, uh, and you think maybe we have a different opening song that we ought to try, maybe do that in like one of the religious school sessions with, you know, try it out with a couple grades, see how that goes. And then say this week, just this week, we're going to try singing this. Um, and to, to make it sort of take away that fear of the change and that that, that song is gone. Um, and then again, the canner I work with here in Chicago, David Goldstein always will use the line that it's like, that song that we love, that is a part of our repertoire, but it is not our only repertoire. So meaning that like, whatever Hine Matov you must sing. It's like, there are many Hine Matovs. What we're singing is Hine Matov. We can sing any version we want. Or the Micha Mocha, it's the text. It's not just the melody. So I think, um, I guess just trying to find ways to to uh, come in gently um, and to just try stuff and sort of take the risk and to not um, not be afraid of, of uh, I guess if it doesn't go well or if people don't like it, because if it doesn't, you can always go back to the one that they love. Yeah. All right. So the last question that we have uh, for this episode, which I think is a super cool uh, way to wrap it up is what was your most eye-opening experience that you had while you were song leading for a camp? Um, well, what comes to mind, I guess, is would probably be for me as a song leader. This is early on. This was like my first summer song leading at Gucci. And uh, I was, uh, I could best describe myself as a very reluctant song leader in that I was someone who did not want to be a song leader at camp. Uh, I was someone who grew up at Gucci and, and learned to play the guitar from being at camp and was very connected um, early on as a little kid to the music that was happening at camp. And then when I turned like 12 or 13, got very into like, playing electric guitar and listening to Nirvana and Pearl Jam and like Green Day Dookie. Those were the kind of things I was into. And so Jewish songs and song leading was not cool for me in my, uh, I guess in my like 17 or 18 year old view. Uh, that was not something that was cool. And uh, when I was applying to work at camp as an 18 year old to be a counselor, uh, I got a call and it was essentially like, we, we really need you to song lead. We don't have anybody. And I was like, no, thanks, not interested. They're like, no, no, we, we, we really need you. We really need you. We really need you. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, we kind of, you know, camp has given you a lot, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, so much. My friends, all this great stuff. And they're like, well, now that you're working here at camp, it's your turn to start giving back to camp. And uh, camp does not have enough song leaders for the summer, and we, we really need you. So I very reluctantly agreed to do it. Uh, and I struggled a lot when I started. And what I struggled with was I was not, at that time, was not comfortable getting up in front of a room of people. Was certainly not, or I was not comfortable getting up in front of a room full of people and singing. I was comfortable being in front of people, but the singing piece was not at all my thing. Uh, I, I, uh, my early memories in that summer where I would get really upset or frustrated uh, at the end of something, would practice a song, did all the work before to get up there and not embarrass myself, and then like I'd play a... Uh, C chord when I should have played a G chord and I'd be so upset after. Um, 
And so one of these moments where I was really upset after I was standing outside the dining hall and Rabbi Ron Klotz, who was the director at Gucci, you know, saw me and just sort of came over and was like, what's up? And he, uh, he talked, I shared with him, you know, what was going on. And he sort of just looked back at me and he was like, you're not, you're not listening. It's like, what, what do you mean? He's like, I don't think you're listening. I was like, I don't follow. I don't understand what you're saying. He goes, I think you're not listening to the group singing. He's like, cause what I'm hearing in the dining hall is that camp is singing really well. They like singing with you when you're up in front of them. They, cause you treat them, uh, with kindness and you're respectful of the group and, it sounds really good. He's like, I think you're very worried about making mistakes. And so I think your ears right now are tuned to you. And uh, so I want you at dinner tonight when you go up and, and you lead again to try not to think about if your Hebrew's perfect, if your pitch is perfect, if you hit every chord the way you're supposed to, just listen to the group. And so uh, I did that. And in many ways, that was something that felt really freeing in that I think that was where I actually kind of started to song lead and not just get up there and play the guitar and sing and have the benefit of being in a community that, that liked to sing already. So they would sing along with anybody. Um, and that was sort of the, for me, the recognition of kind of the, the power that we as song leaders uh, can hold to uh, help move a group of people musically in the direction that we want them to go to. Um, so uh, that's something that's stayed with me ever since then, uh, is to play the wrong chord. Nobody noticed other than you. Maybe one person noticed. Uh, they're not listening to just you. They're listening to each other. And, and if you're doing an effective job, um, that everybody's voices will, will shine a little brighter than yours. So, uh, yeah, that's a story that comes to mind. Yeah, that's such a wonderful story. And thank you so much, Alan, for being on this episode of Revisiting Ruach. Um, as always, you should follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Revisiting Ruach. And if there's anyone that you want to see next on the podcast, just drop it on the Instagram and we will try and get them on. And also, you can follow Alan on Instagram, Alan Goodis, and listen to his music wherever you listen to music. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.